This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello. Hello. Hello, Stella. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, well done with your lovely interview with Alistair. Alistair. Yeah. Did you guys have a constitutional recent, recently? We did this morning. We went oh. for a lovely walk in the woods. It was very nice. What um, are the woods like? Is there a lot of mushrooms, mosses? Yeah. Brambles. Yeah. Went to a nice woods today. There's a few woods around, so we go to different places, but the one we went today is very nice. Poetry and various stages on the on the wall, which is nice. Hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. But it was a beautiful interview. It was a beautiful um connection between the two of you. It was very moving. I was really very moved. Hmm. You know? I shed a tear. It was lovely. Hmm. Yeah, it was really nice, you know. It's yeah, it great that he had the platform. I think it's very important what he said. I think uh, lots of things of what he said, you know, not only about life and death and facing sickness, which was powerful, but what he said as well about recognizing grooming and recognizing something. I think he's onto something. I, obviously, I do because myself and Alistair speak a lot, but I think he's seen something in this movement that. We've all circled and I've worked a lot with detransitioners, male detransitioners and, you know, grooming is an issue that, you know, they're they're being they're having experiences online and they think it's just them. And they don't realize, no, this is actually many of you. And they're always very interested when I say that. I'm like, do you know what I mean? Well, we focus a lot in the discourse because of the way that it's folded out about the female detransitioners. And there's a lot of narratives around young women being vulnerable in various different ways, but we don't, haven't, I still haven't really gotten, really drilled down in the particular vulnerabilities of, of boys. I think we're in the, I think we're only learning. I think it's only come out really. I think we're only learning. I think we're a good, good bit behind. I think we kind of understand the girls. I think we, we're a few years ahead in the understanding and I think we've got a good handle on what's going on with the girls and we've got a good understanding. I'm just so shocked that it's so funnily sex specific that there's, there's you know, it's kind of ironic, but there's there's a kind of a, a gender dysphoria in the adolescent girl and there's a gender dysphoria in an adolescent boy and they're actually very different experiences, which is hilariously Ironic, I think, really. Are, yeah. are you able at this point, and I know all data is uh, anecdotal, basically, at this point, but is there a pattern with regard to boys' internet use, the kind of, the kind of society that they get into or the kind of relationships that they form online? And is there a particular quality to that that's surfacing? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think, um, like you say, it's it's just anecdotal at this stage. We haven't got research. We don't know. But when you talk, it's the detransitioners who we work with. 
is the ones who are bringing forward the actual data. They're actually coming out and saying, this is what happened to me. I was 14 and I got locked into something. And, you know, honestly, you know, there was a, a sexual element to it. As a boy, I'm talking about I'm the boys here. And it it spirals into the dark side of the Internet. And they're, they're boys with a sexual, you know, um, easily led. You know, I, I think it would be very easy to lead any 14-year-old into any place sexually. Mm-hmm. And I think these are naive boys who are being led into any place. I think that the less naive boys are outside, you know, getting some as such. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> While these are just sweet, soft, gentle, gullible, mm. um, awkward, clever types who are in their bedroom and get way over their head, way, way, way over their head. And they're being, you know, played as such by people who have really quite, um, really quite terrible motives. And then they think it only, like everybody who's been any sort of target of, of, of sexual abuse, they think it's me something happened. I did this. I was drawn into this. I was pulled into this. I was the fool. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. Hmm. You know what I mean? You got targeted. You got pulled in and then you were way over your head and you were scared out of your wits and you, you, you didn't know how to get out. And you didn't know how to get out and you were half obviously compelled to return because it's a turn on, whatever the hell it is. If, if you follow me, that's, you know, so many people and they, they don't say it, but like, the, you know, there's tragedies behind being groomed, for example, around, you know, and this, you know, just from working with people, I've, I've heard people say, you know, when your first orgasm has been with somebody who has a bad, you know, motive behind it all and is bringing you deeper in, you can really go deep in for a long time being mm. led by your sexual impulses, which are just blowing your head off. So yeah. what Alistair yeah. said about the internet was very interesting because he said, God, maybe they shouldn't have it. And I'm like, maybe he's right. It's just, and I know that sounds mad, like, so I'm not saying it. I'm just saying, God, we need we need discussion. It's the Wild West. What are we going to think? We've got pictures of kids in the 1950s smoking, like, and there were six, you know what I mean? And we're like, what were we doing? Are they going to look at this generation going and say, what were we doing allowing those kids at this? Mm-hmm. I am about I am about to publish an interview with uh, Patricia Wirakun, who is a she's Sri Lankan, but she lives in she grew up in Sri Lanka and she lives in Australia. She's a Christian sexologist, so it's a really interesting kind of vector. Yeah. Very Christian, very sexologist, and we we spoke a lot about uh, the mechanics of the female body, which are kind of like well, what's going on in there. I don't know what's going on in in there, but um, <laughs> but also like proper sexual education, and yeah. she and and she she and her team did these books from pre K to teen about sex ed. So it's like, and they had to run it through the entire church. So all the deacons and all the pastors, and they went back and forth and back and forth. Why are you know? So it was heavily vetted, but still. You give a kid a book about that topic and it's automatically seen out of context as pornography. So it's really difficult to even engage properly, whatever that means, 
in sex ed. And if there was a proper type of sexual education, especially with regard to the internet, pornography and the dynamics in there, it might facilitate uh, a little bit more street smarts. But again, if it's taken out of context, then you're going to be called a groomer, right? Mm. Or somebody else could do the family sex show in the other direction from that side and, and say, well, we're celebrating this natural thing, groomer. So how do you you're, do it? You're so, you're so right. Um, like between the ages of 10 and 20, we go from being asexual to sexual. And I think the whole world just goes, I hope they'll be okay. <laughs> Here's a bit of information. Off you go. <laughs> Figure it out. And I think we're at sea. I think we really don't know how to navigate. There are sexual awakenings and they become fully fledged and we're able to handle it when they're adults. We can handle it. But in that funny period, between yeah, 10 and yeah. 20, we don't know what to do. And I think we have... Just especially, I suppose, male detransitioners are on my mind and male the male experience is on my mind because of Alistair's, you know, interview with you. So it's very much on my mind. But I, I think that, you know, Leonore Typher, do you know her? She's a sexologist. She's brilliant. You should have her on. Hmm. And she she made the point to me because I was talking about sex education. She said it's got too grim and gloomy and danger oriented sex education it's oh, all okay, yeah, yeah. watch out for the pornography watch out for the grooming watch out for the internet and there's nothing about fun and joy and maybe you know it's kind so of hard to talk about properly delights <laughs> and thrills and fancying somebody and enjoying you know a, a, a kind of a little fumble which is what they are supposed to do between those ages do you know what I mean? I mean, you are immediately yeah. like, ah, oh, we're not allowed to talk about this. But we've got to be adult and realise that that's what they need to hear. They need to hear about joy. And I think a lot of boys... Forgiveness, patience. And fun and um, thrills, you know. Genuinely, like, you know, we can't we can't have all on, you know, venereal diseases, and pornography and predators, because I think they've got the boys are much more kind of driven sexually in those years, I would argue. And um, certainly in the in the more targeted way, they've got this beast that the, that has been landed into them and they're being told, watch out, <laughs> you could turn into a creep. <laughs> These are the things, you know, and they're just like, oh my god! I think secretly, I've I've worked with enough. They secretly think I'm a creep. I've got crazy thoughts. I am the thing that everybody's been warned against. Mm -hmm. Down, 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 yeah. and I think we've made a mess of it because it's hypersexualized, but it's not fun. It's not joyful. It's not sweet. Yeah, and yeah. There, yeah, there's so many different layers to it. You recall to mind the interview I did with Njada, Njada, who is a male detransitioner and his struggles with thinking of himself as a man, as evil, as the, the masculine urge is, is predatory by definition. And so he just struggled with wanting to just back away from it. And he saw his burning passion for women, uh, I, it seemed like he just Merged turned that it. into like I'll just become yeah. a woman um, because then that's safe, so I don't have to possess yeah. and chase. I think that's more common than we realize. Yeah, I think that's more common than we realize. But some of these boys, they want girls, they want them, and it kind of tumbles into I'll be one. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, I mean that that uh, are you, you consider yourself somewhat Jungian? Does Me? The, the Jungian I, I typology. I love the ground Jung walks on, but um, I haven't been schooled yeah. in Jungian thought like the great Lisa Marciano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. an expert, but I love Jung. Yeah. But just the um, the concept of the anima and understanding man's um, a man's relationship to the feminine is very um, profound, very spiritual. It can be very poetic, very spiritual, very defining. He is in a relationship. I mean, imagine it, speaking of myself kind of as a poetic person, just imagining women and building characters, you know, and, and having those crushes where yeah. when I'm 14, 13, just having these huge crushes and then realizing, having to realize that I'm projecting. This is not about the girl so i have to actually figure out how to manage my motive and her reality and then negotiate that and see if they line up or not right and that should be in sex education because i was like you i was a maniac stalker which is i'm reading between the lines <laughs> with all that poetry gulf i i from one maniac stalker to another but I was very, very passionate about who I directed my, my passion oh, really? towards. Oh, my God. Oh, really? I was frightening. And I think <laughs> I'd love, I really was, but I'd love if that was brought into, you know, sex education. It's like, you know, the extraordinary passions that are going to overtake you where you will, you know, you will walk across, you know, red hot coals yeah. for this and like you say, you project everything onto them and your whole your whole life will be yeah. about meeting them and things like that. Yeah, I think we've missed so much. I think we've missed so much with sex education. And I think we're not coping well. At the mm. moment, I think it's very negative. I think it's a very negative experience. It's very grim, clinical, mm. cold. And I think... Children are being introduced. They used to be not introduced at all and they found their way. And some of them fell in love and went very well. Some of them it went very, very badly. Now they're being introduced to it in a very clinical way. And I think they have a pretty transactional attitude towards mm. it. Yeah. You give me yours, I'll give you mine. You do me, I'll do you. You know what I mean? It's a very kind of, huh. you scratch my back, okay. I'll scratch yours. Handshake, yeah, basically. Yeah, just yeah. a very sloppy handshake. <laughs> well and then and then there's the um gender ideology and then there's the uh, professional medical association known as uh wpath or mm -hmm. path and they they're very intent i mean given the proper political climate they're very intent on lowering the ages young as possible to fast track okay I don't, I don't want to put words into their mouth, but you, normally that's what we're going to talk about. The guidelines and how that relates to children. Yeah. I'd like to talk about that. I think it's something people need to know a lot about. I think for starters, you have to look at who are WPATH. You know, they, they started in 1979 as the Harry Benjamin Gender Dysphoria Association. We're, we're a movement of terrible acronyms, and it all began with the HBGDA, which is catchy. Harry but Benjamin. The Harry <laughs> Gender Dysphoria Association. Okay. Um, or, uh, uh, the thing about it is that this was just a disparate group in 1979 of people who were interested in medical transition, whether they were clinicians, 
who frankly were on a either evangelical mission or they were making money or whether it was trans people or people who were interested in trans people. They just came together and, you know, formed this organization and they wanted to advocate for medical transition. That's what they were there for. And that's what they did. Yeah. So it was principally about advocacy, not necessarily research it was based on advocacy more than research if you if you kind of i don't want to speak out of turn it was basically for the good of trans people okay. in in terms of healthcare, in whatever way that meant this was at the kind of like between the you know 60s and 70s there was a bit of a heyday of of people transitioning you you know if you look back in his there was a bit of a thing and a lot of them were transitioning back then the only way a man became a woman or a woman became a man was medical transition, as in surgery of your genitals. There was no talk of hormone. There was no talk of testosterone and estrogen. It wasn't a concept. This was all about if I wanted to be a man, I needed to get a, a, a surgical procedure and have a penis and then I would be a man. Vice versa for you. There was no kind of there was no you know essence of woman being or man being sold. And the you know the Harry Benjamin uh, organization, they joined together. It would be just like a group of people who were interested, and they they self identified as the gold standard. But there was no other goal. Nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was interested. So they held the field as such. Okay. But there was nobody else who was interested. Yeah. And so all the people who were interested in this subject joined and they let out a standards of care the first year. A year later, they let out another one and they continued to let, let them out for many years. In the meantime, in about the 90s, testosterone and, and estrogen began to be marketed as essence of woman, essence of man. Oh, like eau ou de masculin, yeah. ou de féminin. If you think about it, you know, Kate Moss was, you know, she was, she was, what was she advertising? You remember those beautiful perfume ads and stuff like that? But there was an essence, a kind of an, a concept of if you take testosterone, you will become a man. If you take estrogen, you will become a woman. That came in in the 90s and it was marketed as that. They had hormones before. They had estrogen. They had testosterone. It was on the shelf for many years. They tried to do lots of different things, especially with testosterone, and nothing worked. They tried lots of different things. For example, by the way, they tried conversion therapy with gay people in the 50s and 60s. They gave them testosterone thinking that would make them more <laughs> more um, male. But <laughs> as you can imagine, giving <laughs> testosterone to gay men, <laughs> it didn't work the way they hoped it would work. And thankfully, they stopped that. But like, yeah, they brought in testosterone and estrogen as a concept, as this makes you a woman, this makes you a man in the 90s. It was a very interesting changeover that happened without anybody really thinking about it, hmm. except the people who were designing the situation, except the people who were thinking about it. Everybody else was just, it came into your consciousness and my consciousness that suddenly testosterone equaled man and I've got testosterone in you. Everybody has hormones. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not as if men own testosterone and women don't have, we do have some testosterone. Do you know what I mean? That it, it just, it got marketed. And then um, the Harry Benjamin Society kept on bringing out different uh, standards of care. And then finally in 2008, they called themselves WPATH. And so you can see that they are, maybe it was 2007, I'm sure people will shout it was very quickly to tell which it was. I think it was 2008. But they uh, they renamed themselves because the Harry Benjamin gender dysphoria, it wasn't a catchy name. It wasn't, a, it sounded like what it was, which is a disparate group of people who are interested in trans issues. 
And so they professionalized, they marketed, they branded, and they called themselves the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And suddenly they had become the gold standard. They, they were letting out these standards of care every few years, always changing, always kind of modifying and deciding. We have decided they don't follow. There's a criteria to become a standards of care. So it's not just a moniker. Standards of care means something. You know what I mean? You have to pass through certain you know, hoops to get, you know, okay. you have to get over obstacles to become a, to be called one. They don't pass that, but they call them, they self-identify their standards of care. Wait, they did they fail to pass it or did they just circumvent that hoop? And um, That's a good question. No, they call themselves the standards of care when if you look at what is a standards of care, they don't pass the criteria. Okay. Like you and I could meet, we could whack out a standards of care. Well, I mean, you run a podcast, I run a podcast, let's develop standards of care for a podcast. <laughs> I would genuinely argue we know a good deal more about it. <laughs> oh, than, than WPATH? <laughs> it's an arguable point. Hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then they called themselves, you know, WPATH, which was a fabulous name. And they uh, really upped the, their ability to brand and they let out in the 2012, they let out their standards of care seven. So this was the seventh one since 1979 and 2012. And this was the game changer. So they had kind of slid in, in first place and in only place as the people who provide standards of care, even though they were just a moniker, they might as well call it guide um, to, to anybody who's working with transgender people. You know, nobody had passed this. They just continuously released them. And then when they released them in 2012, they did this extraordinary decision and they took away therapists as being an important part of the equation. And they instead, they reframed therapists as facilitators for medical transition. So rather than somebody would come to a therapist to explore where they're at, what their feelings is around gender, what their expectations are around gender, mm -hmm. what their expectations are about medical transition. Should they medical? Should they should they consider the sexual trauma that they they um, experienced, or should they consider there's you know there there's misogyny, their internalized misogyny? They didn't do any of that because instead they said no, no. The role of the therapist from 2012 onwards, that's standards of care seven. The role of the therapist is to facilitate transition. Just your job. Yeah. Which is demeaning the role of a therapist, because I would argue a therapist <laughs> as a therapist myself, I would say we offer what I trained for, what I studied so hard, what I thought so hard and put all my effort into was to offer a therapeutic process. And this is an experience. If you came to me, I would offer you something that's quite serious and I would hope that we would engage in a collaborative relationship that would require commitment from both sides and effort. And it would be quite a serious thing. It's not just I'll just facilitate whatever you want, because I'd say that's demeaning the whole concept of therapy. And in a way, you know, therapeutic process has moved into the concept of therapeutic support. Just in general, people talk about the phrase therapeutic support, i.e. I support you therapeutically to mm -hmm. do whatever you wish. I think we've lost a lot in that concept. Do you, do you follow me? Interesting. I don't know if yeah. I'm if I'm yeah. going to yeah. to kind of into the weeds there with uh, that, but I think no. it's an interesting point.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, um, sorry, I, I lost. I had a question, but I lost it. So you're gonna have to. Oh, okay, that. I'll keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we 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 moved from from in in general therapy has moved in a lot of ways from therapeutic process to therapeutic support. So I.e. Stella, you just support me. That's your job, and I'd say no, 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 no. Samaritans offer therapeutic support. Lots of people offer therapeutic support. As in, I'll make kindly noises and compassionate phrases and I'll be very gentle with you and I'll be very supportive with you. That's a lovely thing. It's got a great value and I'm really glad it's out there. It's not what psychotherapists offer. We offer a process. You're going to come every week. We're going to go through things. You're going to learn some self-awareness. You're going to build on your kind of uh, coping skills. You're going to figure out any kind of obstacles to progress. You might even dig into your own conscious. It's a big event, I would argue, way more than therapeutic support. So that's a, a kind of a by the way. At the same time, WPATH were coming in and saying, hey, you therapists, don't mind your process, don't mind your support, you're just facilitators. <laughs> you just get anybody who wants medical transition, you get them it. You, okay. you help them access it. And then a few weeks ago, is it last week or the week before, they released Standards of Care 8. 10 years after Standards of Care 7. And they've done another game changer with this. And like I said, these are just a self-identified <laughs> group that um, see themselves as the gold standard. Nobody else was 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 coveting that title. Nobody else was trying to bring out standards of care around transgender health. So nobody else has, has kind of come at them, if you follow me. So they, they, own, the, they own the whole area. And they did some extraordinary things with the release of this, extraordinary things with the release of this standards of care. And it's not a standards of care. And I need to stop calling it that with their with their guidance. They they reduced, like you said at the start, they 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 released the document and they had minimum ages on it. And so, you know, they said a minimum age, I'll, I'll say it from memory, it was like a minimum age for cross sex hormones is 14. So that means a 14 year old girl could get testosterone. Her voice would deepen. She she would never be able to lighten that voice again. Her vagina would atrophy. She would get some very masculine features. You know what I mean? And, you know, the testosterone would do its job and it does a phenomenal job on girls to make them look very masculine. And um, at 15, they could get a mastectomy and other procedures at 16 they could get it. So they had it very specific, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, what procedures you could get. And it was almost like a shopping list, frankly, of body modification. There's like all sorts of, not just, um, you know, the uh, the uh, vaginoplasty and phalloplasty and mastectomies. But they have, if you look at this, you know, guidance that they give out, you can see that they have, you know, you know, brow lift and, all sorts of, you know, calf kind of calf body modification around your lips, your eyes, your face, your your this, that, and the other, all all surgical procedures, and it's it's kind of it's it's shocking how many procedures there are out there, and a few hours 
a very short time after they released this. So they were 10 years in the making of the SOC 8, Standards of Care 8, 10 years in the making, about two years very seriously writing it. Apparently, apparently taking, you know, um, guidance from clinicians, from doctors, from psychiatrists, from psychologists, from surgeons working in the field, talking to public, you know, the public and they're talking to trans people, taking in all the kind of different people's views. They had something like 119, 120 signatories on this massive document that they'd been writing for the last two years. And then they released it with the age requirements. And frankly, a very short time later, I think it was less than a day, certainly very, very short. They suddenly walloped in, removed all the age requirements and said, sorry, correction, don't mind that. We're we're taking away all age requirements and let's forget that ever happened. And it's like, sorry, you've been two years writing this. How did you get the 119 signatories of that document to sign off on the very sudden removal of those minimum age requirements? How did that actually happen? Because if I signed a document, which those I think it's 119 signatories, if I signed a document with minimum age requirements, to be part of this big, huge event of the release of SOC 8. They had a conference around it. It was a very big deal. And then, you know, a very short time later, suddenly the document that I've signed that has minimum age requirements was removed. Suddenly the minimum age requirements, how could they do that? Surely those people didn't sign off on it. Were there reasonings for why they removed because because um, yeah. removing the age requirements could be uh, retracting that they want to go that young or retracting that it couldn't go any younger, right? It seems in the conference that they released they released the SOC 8 around a conference that's uh, that was on last week. And it seems they said quite explicitly um, that this was around insurance, that this was an insurance reason that, um, you know, and also... They alluded to the fact that surgeons had already been defying the the minimum age requirements from SOC 7. So they they were already, there were surgeons who were not like following. They thought like 16 or 15 was too old to start giving mastectomies. And so there's actual research now that 12 year olds and 13 year olds have had mastectomies. It's even in the New York Times today. Funnily enough, a, an Irish surgeon, uh, she's Irish, Dr. Sive Gallagher. She lives in America and um, she is probably one of the most prolific surgeons. She said today in the New York Times, she's a surgeon and she's very, very centered in on the, the transgender market. And she, she advertises on TikTok and she has the, this the, the teats woman, the teeth. very glib. She has such such fun times she has a great laugh it's a great laugh this is devastating devastating people it's devastating families it's devastating it's a really serious serious phenomenon that's happening there's a lot of hurt happening and this this doctor is um is on tiktok having a good laugh about it because she thinks it's, it's great fun frankly she's probably making a huge amount of money and you know she did say she she performs about was it 40 40 a month, 40 mastectomies a month. And I was working out that's like over two, probably over two a day. I don't know how many days a week. You know, that's a lot. That's what she said in the New York Times. Unless I got it wrong. That's what I read today. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this is a very lucrative business. And the 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 extraordinary response to immediately release something and very quickly take out minimum age requirements makes me think this is not a serious organization. They've discredited themselves by doing that because how could you study something for two years, get everybody to sign it and then suddenly delete something as big? That's not a correction. They called it a correction. That's an ideological change of gear. Do you know what I mean? It's a big difference to remove minimum age requirements. Now, what is going to happen as what often happens in 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 um, information these days is that the the narrative gets owned by whoever spins it the best. And th- that's a frightening concept, but that's what seems to happen with all information these days. You, you know what I mean? Remember they used to say, you know, the, the winners write the history. It's, it's, it's frightening who's writing, you know, the analysis of what's going on at the moment, because it's, it's, it's frightening the way narratives. I've just watched narratives get changed a few times in Ireland, especially I'm in Ireland recently. And I just thought, wow, whoever owns the narrative really owns the whole story. But yeah, they did some other things in this crazy. Uh, and I would say the word crazy socket. It's certainly a very discredited document. It has not reflected well. On w path okay so it could be the case that there's a huge like a tremendous mott and bailey um potential here where they release all these guidelines and then people are like wait no you can't do that and they're like oh well they're just guidelines they're, they're just okay. standards that you don't have to follow them we're not in we're not an enforcement body so the question being when the legal backlash works its way through the chain into the insurance companies, into the doctors' lives, the surgeons' lives, the medical uh, administration, all these people who did all this stuff, and you have one detransitioner or 20 detransitioners or 1,000 detransitioners get all the way up. Will the buck eventually land on the desk of WPATH, and will they have to pay or not? Like if if this document means anything, it doesn't matter what they change, what they don't change. Is it is it providing cover for the doctors or not? And until until the arm of the law, until force meets it and they take responsibility or don't take responsibility, it doesn't matter. It's just a piece of paper until it's legally binding in some way and somebody yeah, has to pay for it. So I are they at all responsible for this or is it just some hand writing on a wall uh i as far as i know they aren't as far as i know they'd say we just wrote the guidelines case by case you need to bring in your own clinical um practice into it you you messed up so that would be how i would say they will uh operate that but it's very interesting that you know we have to make sure that it's not just WPATH that you could say, well, that's a problem. The fact is a huge number of organizations all over the world have accepted WPATH to be the standards without asking, should they be the standards? What are these standards? They presumed that the self-declared experts are experts. And yet, you know, you, you, when you watch the history, remember I talked about how they changed in the last 20 years you know, people left, the, the experts in the field left. Stephen Levine, who, who's been working with trans people, Dr. Stephen Levine, since the 70s, he left WPATH. And 
you know, Ken Zucker and Ray Blanchard, and they all seem to leave as far as I can gather. There's a few of them that are still there, but it, very much. And when they changed, you know, it really felt like the, the activists are running this organization. They used to be clinicians and activists. At first, I'd imagine there was quite a lot of clinicians, but there were clinicians very invested in the in the trans kind of medicalization of gender identities. Fair enough. That was the, the, the reason why they existed. But over time, clinicians seem to have lost their voice and activists seem to have gained their voice. So, for example, they let out a draft last Christmas, last December, January of Stockgate. It was a kind of a draft tester. You know what I mean? Kind of waving the kite to the public saying, what do you think of this? So they let out this draft and we were all invited to comment. Lots of people did comment. And in that draft, they had an ethics chapter. Hmm. OK, okay yeah, well done. The clinicians were making their voice saying we should we should consider ethics. And in the standards of care eight that they released last week, they took out the chapter on ethics, which says it all. It's like, oh, yeah, we were thinking about ethics, but nah. Not so important. Did you read that ethics chapter? Do you remember much of it? Like, what are the um, ethics around? I would, I would, I, would re- I read about it. Uh, I was more thinking of the principle, if you yeah. follow me. It was the yeah. principle that bothered me. It's like, you know, you, you, you put in something that obviously, when you're talking about transgender health, where there's so much money to be made, where there's so much destruction if you get it wrong, there needs a very robust ethics chapter. Because some people will just want to make money and they will do whatever somebody else wants so that they can make money. That's their prerogative. And the prerogative of clinicians and doctors is to remember you're in a position of responsibility. You did get trained. You are very well paid. And your job is to make sure you do no harm. And so you abide by ethics. That's what we are meant to be doing. And so the removal of the ethics chapter kind of blew my head off as a representation of Activists have taken over this entire organization and this entire document is ran by a- activists. Well, well, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I know about activists is that their ethic, their one and only ethic is to win, is to get their way. Yeah. So truth doesn't matter, hypocrisy, consistency, yeah. doesn't matter. It's, it's about winning. Yeah. So ethics is not conducive to getting one's way. Actually, ethics are about restraining self-interest, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. They're so it's so it's such an important part of transgender health ethics is. And I, I kind of think there's there's no mention of safeguarding in that document. There's no mention of child protection in that document. Now myself having worked with Genspect, with Beyond Transition, we have a lovely program in Beyond Transition where we offer, you know, low cost or no cost counselling for detransitioners. So everybody's very welcome if they want, if they've been impacted in any way by by gender belief systems, they can access low cost or no cost counselling from Genspecs through the Beyond Transition programme. And um, my work with with these people, so there's some of these people are detransitioners, mostly they are. Some of them are people who are unhappy having transitioned, but they don't want to transition back because it's too hard. And some of them have detransitioned and then retransitioned back because it's too hard. So these are people who are very hurt. And time and again, when you you talk to them, you think we need not only do we need ethics in this world because these people were not treated well. We also need a lot of child protection and a lot of um, attention 
to how these people are being treated as children. Like, you know what I mean? And so that would be an issue. And then the, the kind of infamous edition of the chapter on eunuchs is hmm. like... It's a cha- so the, <laughs> was the eunuch chapter in the uh, in the draft? It was. Oh, okay, okay. I, I didn't think it would make through. So it came out, the draft came out last, you know, 10 months ago. And we all read it and everybody went, Unix? Sorry, Unix? Unix? And I honestly thought there is no way WPATH are seriously going to release a chapter on Unix. They're not going to do it. It's a bridge too far. I know that they're very arrogant. I know that they own the whole field, but they're not going to do this. It's such mm-hmm. an own goal. And they did. Yeah. They did, which is, a, 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 I think, a demonstration of their utter arrogance and disconnection with the, with the world, that they have created an identity, the gender dysphoric eunuch, and they they think it's appropriate to, to, to suggest that this is uh, uh, something that the world needs to get their head around. And in their standards of care, so there's an awful lot of references. So it looks at first glance, it's clearly an awful lot of money went into this. And in SOC 8, they have, obviously, they got loads of references. And the references to the eunuchs link to, uh, you know, websites with pornography on, on child eunuchs. It's like, okay, you've completely and utterly discredited yourself. And what we need to do as clinicians is speak the truth to that and say this document is not an appropriate document for doctors, governments, schools, gender clinics to use as a serious document that will help people because I don't think it will help people. Hmm. I will be, I was going to, I had an interview set up for somebody who was at that conference, but she got COVID. I think COVID has actually run through the whole conference, it looks like. Um, So for the listener, there will be more information diving into it because there's a lot of really wacky stuff. The way that they framed the eunuch chapter was that the... uh, it, it just sounded really gaslighty. Like, okay, if somebody comes to you and they're identifying as a eunuch, you might be scared, you might be put off, but this is a normal thing. It's it's a part of culture. It's been around for years. And that's true, but the... Not to be... Well, okay, I'm going to be lied about this, but if we had like a really great tradition of choral music in present day, it would kind of make sense to want to have some castrati around to really hit those high notes because those eunuchs can really belt it out. But if you listen to the <laughs> chants, they don't really have a lot of music going on in the subculture that necessitates such beautiful voices. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But that is um, fair enough. If that's your point, my point would be a little bit different, okay. which would be, you know, the eunuchs have had a, a sad, tragic history 
for thousands of years. They say it themselves in their in their PowerPoint for in WPATH when they're talking about units. And you're right, they're very patronizingly saying, yeah, you're going to get with this program, you know. You might be a little bit narrow-minded, but you'll get over it. They do say that, and they also mention how it's in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was in the Bible. There was lots of things in the Bible. Slavery was in the Bible. The, the, you know, things in the Bible don't don't do, doesn't mean that they should still be around. It they had a tragic history. The history of the eunuch is a really, really sad, sad story. And so, yeah, whatever about the choral music, the, the tragedy of of these yeah. people yeah. was really awful, really awful. And to bring that back and to pretend that this is a valid, um, genuine, healthy okay. way to So it it doubles <laughs> down on, you know, the trope, and I brought that up with, brought this up with Marcus and Susan Evans about how we deal with um, the anorexic, right? The anorexic yeah. female, generally speaking, is having severe body dysmorphia and is damaging her her entire body and her yeah. mind and everything. And the therapist's job is to get her into a relationship with her body that's healthy. The trans thing has this gender thing going on and you know self-expression, this gendered soul. But with the eunuch, the eunuch is specifically wanting to destroy the body. It's wanting, it's very specifically about... There's no uh, mutilation is not overstepping. It's it's severing the genitals, the male gen genitals. That that is one on one with anorexia. You can't hide behind. I it. I guess you can. I it, it just it's stretching the concept of identity to the limit, and you're wondering, well, could they go even further? Could they go any further? And so people have been talking about transhumanism. Right. Getting your body limb cut off because you, you feel like you don't have an arm. So get rid of the arm. I mean, there's no end to this identity stuff. And it just it seems like incremental, incremental. If they can get away with this, they'll mm -hmm. move on to the next thing. And, you know, I've no problem with people having theories and they want they have their transhumanism theory and they have their eunuch theory. I have no problem with any of that. I have a problem with doctors and governments and schools and you know, serious hospitals that want to help people following inappropriate guidelines. Do you know, there's a big difference. That's where the real lack is. It's okay, so who makes something appropriate? Document. You said that there's hoops. So who makes the law? Who enforces the law on any sort of guidelines? Like, well, there would what be makes it legitimate? Imagine if you wanted to be a carpenter today and you could put up a sign saying you're a carpenter and people would say, well, you didn't pass your, your master in guilds. You didn't pass. So you can call yourself that, but you're not really. You, you know what I mean? So they've kind of done that with the standards of care. They call themselves that and nobody really calls them out. There isn't anything else to choose from. And other organisations are very much promoting WPATH as the gold standard. They promote themselves as the gold standard. They have a lot of money behind them, so it looks good. They run, you know, this very snazzy conference, so it looks very professional. And they have been around a long time and there's nobody else, you know, coveting the title. And so they've gone into position and they've stayed in position as far as I can see. And it needs it needs serious clinicians and doctors and, and hospitals and schools to say, hang on a second, if you've got WPATH, 
If you're running by WPATH guidelines, you need to seriously look at what you're looking at because you probably don't know much about this subject because it's very dense and difficult to find out. And secondly, you're working with a discredited organization. And that's what I think it is. Okay. I, I just, there has to be practical steps to either legitimize or delegitimize this. And you have, you either have NGOs, you have uh, crowdsourced campaigns, or you get the word out somehow, or you have lawsuits. Like, I, you have oh, to yeah. take, this is war at this point, right? I mean, you just, you would have to think of it in terms of war. Um, and it's branding war not advocating killing anybody i'm saying this is this is institutional warfare so you have to somehow reverse one sad thing about um the the the, the detransition of the many sad things about the detransition experience is that the the court cases seem to be hard to to come about because effectively you sign away a lot of your rights when you sign the informed consent um, you know, form and you effectively say, I know all, I know all, I know all the problems. So it's okay. I've signed it away. That's number one. Number two, they've made it a very short time period. I don't know what it is. It might be two years where you can get your complaint in and it takes a few years for the, the problems to emerge. So, so that's another reason why the legal route is not as open as one would think. I know Scott Nugent tried very, very hard to take uh, law cases, and uh, he's he's a you know a female to to male transitioner, very unhappy about the procedures he's had. He's been really, really damaged by them. Tried to take lawsuits, and he just couldn't get them. Yeah. And I've known quite a few detransitioners who can't find lawyers who will take their case. However, I have to say, there's a, a you know the one of the Genspec leaders, Candice Jackson. She's brilliant. And she started a new legal firm based in Jackson America. Jackson Bone. I just interviewed oh, them yes. yesterday. Yeah. Did you? Lord, oh, yeah. John Benjamin. So that's you why I was thinking awesome. in terms of uh, lawfare, I guess, is better term. Yeah, they, lawfare. Yeah. I think if anybody will do it, Candice and Lauren will do it. I think they really have it. You know, they they know their stuff. It's so a, they are the great hope here. They it, it was a long conversation. I need to edit it because there was a lot of uh, issues with recording. But uh, we went into prisons. We went into sports. We went into the detransition thing. We went into the school. There's so many vectors of uh, not necessarily attack, but the front is so big. There's so many different issues that the gender touches down on and infiltrates and perpetuates itself through uh, through all these different organizations so it's just it's tremendous i mean just taking on the prison system is a huge task let alone the schools let alone the malpractice and stuff but they're they got the brains and the brawn and the and the effort and the commitment and they have it so they they will thankfully and an organization like these two will will be the ones that will kind of say right we are the experts in this we'll help you thank god they've started yeah yeah. And there's we little old you and we little old me collecting the anecdotes and collecting the stories and uh, investigating these things. So I just had you on not too long ago with Sasha. I think yeah. it was just two months ago or a month ago. 
I think so. so maybe, I don't know if, yeah. if, if there's anything on the horizon for you, um, or if there's uh, novel, interesting developments that you, you just get in your goat there's, and that your fire is yeah. just raging about. There's a few things. Uh, there's uh, myself and Sasha and Lisa are doing a retreat for parents, which should be lovely. That's going to be gorgeous. When's that? That'll coming? be in. November. November. I think it's fully booked, so it's just nice that it's there because I think it's very, very, very heartwarming for parents to come together. And, you know, we're, we're working very hard in Genspec with the Beyond Transition program and we're working very hard with detransition. So there's, there's great things to come, but I won't tell you exactly what's going to come, but there's really great things to come on that. So it's very exciting. And um, I'm in Geta with Sasha and Lisa so GETA is the Gender Exploratory Therapy Association. I know we are we are an embarrassment of organizations. <laughs> That's my collective noun for for, for organizations. That word. GETA, SEGM, GENSPECT at least is not a freaking acronym. Maybe acronym. it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. It's just I specifically word. said, let's, let's leave behind me and Alistair. So let's leave behind the acronym. <laughs> <laughs> we we have enough acronyms. But yeah, Geta and Segem and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be clinical guide released. And when it Which gets is released, a standard of care it's a clinical guide. What the heck does that mean? That sounds just like a standard of care. It's like so. a standards of care, but it's not pretending to be a standards of care because the okay. standards of care reaches certain standards. Okay. Right. I mean, the clinical guide wouldn't reach those, but it, you know, it could be brief guide. The point of it is that there will be an option, an alternative. So some people can follow WP WPATH SOC 8 and they can they can dismiss ethics and they can have no minimal age requirements. And other people can choose to follow another guidance. So we're we're going to release that um at some stage in the future. And I think it's going to be it's it will be SEGM as well. It'll be a few organizations I'd say that will 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 be part of this guide. But the point of it is that we need an alternative. This is not good enough. It's not good enough for, for doctors to be relying on this. It's a it's an absolutely outrageous document. Okay, but if okay, so this is the lowest level of the discourse is that if one, you're denying the existence of trans kids. Two, they're going to, you're murdering them. You're killing kids by bringing this up, by questioning this. What do you say to that? I would say, with all my heart, everything that I work for and that, you know, clinicians like myself and, and, and Sasha and Lisa work for is to provide better quality care. And better quality care doesn't necessarily mean um, uh, uh, care in the short term. It's care in the long term. And so it's just not true that I'm um, in any way involved in something that would be destructive. It's, It's a better experience to have somebody go all in and really work with you rather than just nodding along. It's actually very... It's not only patronizing, but it's very dangerous that if you came to me in real distress and if I just nodded to everything you said and I just affirmed everything, that wouldn't be helping you in a deep level. It'd be helping you in the short term. You'd feel better, but it wouldn't be helping you in the long term. And so I think it's very, very important that I would not just nod along, that I'd explore. And, you know, lots of it would be affirming, but not all of it. It's like it's necessary to affirm, but it's not sufficient. We need okay. more and you need depth. And, you know, I I, th- I think it's very important that we 
kind of realize the importance of of giving um giving children a kind of a a, a therapeutic experience that has got value for one thing just i just want to say one thing at the w path socket that they released they they for example in their very short term kind of outlook they recommended that doctors educate um children about binders and about tucking so as to provide because these 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 dangerous practices can give comfort to children so yes they can, you know this is true and these are very distressed children sorry i'm sorry you sh- you shouldn't laugh because this is really awful like so a kid who wants to bind their breast you know they're binding their breasts it, it causes terrible terrible pain and lung functioning it really de- it deforms your breast it really impacts tucking causes testicular torsion it causes a lot of problems for males so these are not these are not harmless practices these are harmful practices yeah. and yeah. in this document they say doctors and clinicians should um, educate them to provide comfort because they provide comfort. These these awful practices provide comfort. Well, I would argue that's the short term. I could comfort you and say, hey, this, this will give you comfort. So maybe you should try this. I'll educate you about binding. Or I could really care about you. Hmm. And I could say, you know what? In the short term, that will give you comfort. In the long term, there's better ways to find comfort. There's a lot of ways to find comfort. And let's look for something that won't harm you and that will provide you comfort and that you will have comfort in the long term. It's an example of 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 the short term outlook. And it's just like very much. What do you want? We'll give it to you. And do you know what it is? It's all about the client, the, 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 the mental health client as such has turned into the customer. You know what I mean? You can pay for my support mm-hmm. and I'll tell you whatever you want. And I think that's yeah. tragic for the for the health industry. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, Marcus and Susan Evans, we touched upon the, the client customer service industry mentality, but also the loss of authority. Uh, And I think that that's not just affecting the clinicians and the therapists and the doctors and stuff, but it's affecting our entire society, but that loss of authority in the relationship. Have you, just speaking on that, what is your authority in your in the therapeutic setting how have you developed that or thought about that uh, like you're the director you're you're the guide because you say you're not giving comfort so are you the challenger i mean you have to have some sort well, of authority right it's my position as a psychotherapist yeah, within yeah. the therapeutic setting yeah i think it's very important to retain your authority you know it was hard one you know i i i, I did go to college, you know, when I was 30 or something, I studied very, very hard to get the qualifications. And I think I have something of value to offer. And so I take myself seriously as such. And that taking yourself seriously does carry weight. And I think it's very important that you do. Because if I was being flippant with my work, I would be demeaning the therapeutic process and mm-hmm. also not giving the the, the, the client a, a, a deep experience or a valuable experience. But if if it doesn't come up, if that's what you're asking, I don't get challenged in my authority. That that doesn't come up because I'm I'm pretty good. I think, luckily, I have some uh, good traits as a therapist, and I'm pretty good at establishing a very good therapeutic alliance. Okay. Oh, okay. Alliance. Know, yeah. 
yeah, they know I'm on their side. They know I'm shoulder to shoulder. They know we're collaborating. I'm I'm pretty good because my heart is right there and I really know my stuff. So mm-hmm. that doesn't come up. But the lack of authority of parents, the lack of authority of teachers, of 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 clinicians voices on in the in the public, that's a huge issue. That's a that's a huge but within the therapeutic space it's fine. Hmm. Yeah. Um what about transference or projection? Uh, you, you seem like a no you, you don't kind of take too much shit or, or graft from uh, a sweater because that, that's kind of like the opposite of authority where somebody wants to give you all the authority and put all their issues onto you. Uh, yeah, you know, th- that actually is an issue. That's something that it's very important that I always watch out for, that I don't want to be the expert of their life. I, I think it's very important that they maintain, you know, that they're, they're in charge of their life. I think that's a really important, I have to be respectful of, you're in charge of you. I can just give you feedback and I can give you, you know, you know, my learning and I can offer you a therapeutic process. But ultimately, you know, the 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 person is the expert of themselves. And if somebody tries to make me the expert, thankfully, because of whatever makeup of personality I am, I reject it. <laughs> like if you tried to tell me, Stella, what will I do? You, you'll just you'll, I will bat it straight back to you and say, hmm. You're going to have to tell me that yeah. I, it doesn't. I thankfully don't have the personality that because there are some that I think are attracted to therapy that, that they say, yeah, I'll tell you that <laughs> they go for it. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, those authoritarian uh, clinicians are pretty dangerous because I think it leaves the, uh, the client in a very powerless position. Mm-hmm. So do you see what do you see going forward specifically with WPATH? Um, you said that they're kind of discrediting themselves, but it seems like there needs to be some tangible steps towards that. Uh, I guess we're just in kind of discovery phase or get the word out phase. Yeah, I think I think we're in the discovery phase. I think they've really, really shot themselves badly in the foot with this document. I wonder, will there be more corrections? I think um, they they have been exposed as as a, a, an unreliable organization w- with with this document, and I would hope that after the discovery phase, other organizations will offer other guidance, and I would hope that their reputation would start to become exposed to scrutiny, and people would realize. It's not good to have WPATH plastered all over your organization. You're really, you're 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 siding with, uh, you know, uh, a frankly a, a very unimpressive hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And uh, I guess uh, the New York Times is kind of putting their toe in the water. Every few months, they'll do something kind of gender critical, perhaps. And then they the big blow up because of the culture on Twitter, the activist culture. And that well, the activist culture from both sides, like the, the turfy mm-hmm. side goes and then the 
trans rights activist side goes, and then they have a bunch of war, and they call each other names, and one side gets doxxed and and kicked off the internet a little bit more than the other side, but it just seems like a you know whatever whenever J.K. Rowling tweets, the whole thing kind of erupts again. So it, it, it's a it's a really interesting dynamic playing field, and I think that the New York Times or institutions like that. We need the Harvards and the Yells. We need the centers of actual power, the narrative setters, like you were saying, the people who control the narrative, the people who stamp their very important, all important logos on it need to actually get on board with that, too. And it seems like they're kind of making space to have some of that criticism of the movement. Yeah, well, the New York Times released a a pretty... um, Bassanine article today. It was a long article, hmm. but it was, I would argue, it was a pretty... Um, milk toast. Uh, what? Milk, to- milk toast? Sorry. What's milk toast? Uh, I guess asinine. Soggy, limpid. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. <laughs> and um, um, they did, however, I, it has to be said... They 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 brought up Grace Sladinsky Smith, who is a detransitioner, and they did say that you know she was a patient of Dr. Sive Gallagher, who I spoke about earlier on, who's very flippant about the procedures she carries out. And Grace Sladinsky Smith, the 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 detransition woman, said, you know, I I was in the middle of a mental health crisis, and I was given you know a mastectomy when I shouldn't have been given it, and um. Um, Dr. Sive Gallagher went from saying we've never had any complaints to when she was faced with that. She said, oh, yeah, somebody once rang, but we thought it was a hoax. So um, she, she, yeah, that's what happened. So, um, yeah, the New York Times would not have included that a year ago. That just wouldn't have got through. It wouldn't Mm. have got through. So while it was a pretty limp article, there is changes. However, I have to say, of the many disappointing aspects of the last few years and, and of, you know, exploring gender issues in the world, the lack of integrity and bravery among journalists, seriously well-paid, privileged journalists who are academic and intelligent, the lack of their integrity, the lack of their courage in this issue. And, uh, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, it's because of their um, th- their fear for their jobs. And I'm like, these are very well-paid people. These are very privileged people. These are, There's no wolf at their door. These are people who are very definitely protecting their reputations because they know what will happen if they speak out against it. Now, there's some huge, um, glorious exceptions to the rule yourself. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, neither privileged nor well-paid. <laughs> uh, Pamela Pareski and Lisa Sellen Davison. There has been some, but there's been so few. But I've seen, I've seen with delight, you know how strong Wesley Yang has been about this issue, and how strong Lior Sapir is is about this issue. And I think the heavyweight intellectuals yeah. have arrived, yeah. and it's like, thank God they've arrived. Hello, come on in. Yes. Yeah out because they are very sharp they're very intelligent they know their stuff and they have courage they're just no this is not right and they can tell you exactly why not Mm -hmm. so now that the heavyweight intellectuals have arrived i feel like i can breathe out okay the journalists never arrived well go go and talk to the heavyweight intellectuals because they've arrived and the journalists are going to limp along and i'll pull up a seat and say thanks i'm glad you're here I will never forget Mm. how terrible they were when it mattered. 
Yeah, there's a... Keep on... I'm trying not to bring up Curtis Yarvin because he keep on bringing up... He has this theory of this thing called the cathedral that basically controls everything and it, it center of powers the New York Times, Harvard, Yale, the Ivy League colleges. They're basically the trendsetters. They are the ones who basically control the world. And uh, so these little tiny journalists in the institutions, they're not just watching their back. They're following... They're following the trend of this organization, this, which is kind of this, it, it's not really directed. It's kind of, uh, his theory is that it just kind of, it's kind of like the subconscious Cthulhu-like uh, entity. And, and the transgender stuff is just one aspect of, of this big cultural force, the zeitgeist, you could say. And I going against that delegitimizes yeah. yourself because that is what the, the, these institutions give the authority. You don't give the authority to them as somebody who, you know, is basically bought and paid for by them. So but that is made up of journalists who are getting well paid. And they're the reason they entered journalism was to write about stories of, you know, injustice and, you know what I mean, to kind of. To, to give some sort of kind of analysis of what's going on, whatever the field was. But you know that phrase, like this cathedral, like what I think is happening right now is the crowd are watching the crowd. And everybody's looking on going, what's going on here? There's a, there's a real feeling of the crowd are watching the crowd. So they're watching the New York Times. Everybody's watching, saying, what way is this going? And people will be very quick. They've done it in history many times over. When the wind changes, the crowd will have anticipated and moved over. Hmm. And that's going to happen, I think, quite definitely over over the coming, we don't know how soon, but over the coming years. And I, I, I you know, the way you're saying that, you know, let's say Yale and, and the New York Times are setting the trend for the world. Maybe they are. I, I see it like, let's say in, in Ireland, you know, the Irish Times would consider themselves the New York Times of Ireland. And they have been the very same, very limp, very, you know, they have the odd article to kind of tell themselves that they're trying, but they're, they're not really doing very much at all. And um, there was a, a, a terrible kind of change of narrative in Ireland where, you know, this this library, I don't know, did you hear about a Fingal libraries? They, they were following a few accounts, their big thought crime. They're a Twitter account, library, following a few accounts. The bad counts were J.K. Rowling, Helen Joyce, Maya Forstater, Jen Specht, and Alison Bailey, and uh, Jane Claire Jones, and they uh, they got piled on, and then uh, they got piled on for their bad, bad people for following people. They didn't do any bad t- posts. They did nothing, and they got piled on. And there was a real feeling among the crowd of, oh my god, this is really this is really bullying. You know what I mean? That you're hassling a little library for following people like now that is a crime. Hmm. It's just it's an example of they're pushing too hard and too fast and too much. And I think the crowd are going to just I think the crowd are feeling disgruntled. Yeah, yeah but um, it, it would have to go all the way up to you'd have to go through the insurance companies like going going through all the legal stuff is one thing which is vast and it's a huge amount of work to get all the legal stuff sorted out on all these different areas but in order for the narrative itself to change you would have to go all the way into the queer theory departments you would have to go all the way into colleges and dismantle 
basically the humanities. You would have to dismantle where this ideology is coming from, which is installed deeply in tenured positions. That's where it's it's coming from the pulsing heart of Harvard and UCLA and all that stuff. It's very interesting. Uh, who was it that said this recently? I think it was Wesley Young. Um, somebody said it recently. said, like, every other social movement comes from a grassroots up. You know what I mean? This has come from the ivory towers of academia. <laughs> and it arrived fully packaged. But I do think that you're kind of wrong there. I think there's mm. always going to be those academics are going to be teaching this in 10 years, like the Japanese fighters in the war. And 10 years later, they were still fighting in the woods. Do you know what I mean? That there's there's going to be a core who will continue to fight their queer theory, their gender identity theory. But the crowd will have moved on and said, nah. So it's it's not really for us. Do, do you know what I mean? That they'll have be a feeling of, the, oh, maybe <laughs> you don't think so. They're just so entrenched right now. Maybe this is the peak time, but you would have to actually dismantle the humanities to solve like the whole issue. Because I mean, because they're teaching the lawyers, they're teaching the next generation of lawyers. They, they're uh, th- it's their journalists you might that are doing right. this. So I, it, it would just, you would have to, the crowd would actually have to overthrow these institutions that the crowd is looking at for guidance. Or finally, there'd be a discrediting, like, you know, the, 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 the truth of the shoddiness of academia has really emerged in this. It's shoddy, really, really low quality <laughs> coming out of academia. Why money? The very same thing, customership. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. is... You, you, you get your qualifications through paying your, your money for the qualifications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and and then you only get the position if you go along with the narrative. You only get installed in the New York Times if you're bona fide and you're on. You're, you've already been selected by having to do all these different. Uh, I, I don't know if a journalist um, at this point has to do a diversity statement in order to get hired. But I know professors have to do these equity diversity statements. In order oh, to yeah. And they'd be so. told, watch your, watch your social media and make sure you don't follow the wrong accounts. You actually have to state your pledge of allegiance to diversity, equity and inclusion in order to get jobs in California. So uh, you would have to you would actually have to. The law, the the push would have to go so far. It would have to go all the way up into the ivory tower. It would actually have to scorch the the halls of of academe to actually change it. So that's what I'm thinking. It could wow. happen, but you would actually have to pitchfork your way all the way up into the into the classroom. Or I I don't agree. I think the other way will be it'll be discredited and the mm-hmm. kind of. There'll be a ivory tower feeling of, yeah, yeah, knock yourselves out with your queer theory. Down in real life, mm-hmm. we've left that behind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, is there ever that ever happened before? So maybe I'm completely I mean, kidding myself. Other than the Protestant Reformation, I mean, you have to go back to when the academy was under the control of the Catholic Church and what caused that to break up and reform into the modern academy, right? You'd, okay. You have to... You have to and wow. it's possible. We have the technology. We have the modern printing press. We have enough people to do that. But it, it, I, I would. I'm just saying that you have to take this seriously. In in the law fair, you have to take it seriously. But also in the humanities, you actually have to torch the entire humanities. You have to torch every HR department. 
That's what mm. I'm thinking. You have to actually rip out the cancer. Uh, and the cancer is manifesting through gender. It's manifesting through anti-racism and stuff. But it it comes from the, the, the liver cell that's replicating and taking over every other body part. No, is I, the agree. I think the carpenters, the electricians, the, you know, the just the people I meet in mm. the day-to-day -day life, they, they will more and more get confidence in their own views and just say, honestly, all that, mm. not for me. Not for hmm. my family, not for my child. Don't buy it. Hmm. Won't buy it. Hmm. But those are That's all second-class citizens, right? Those are normal people. Those are the serfs, basically. They don't control the narrative. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm, I might be being a little bit dire. I, I'm glad we're disagreeing because I, I would love to have hope, but I'm saying that the, the, the disease is manifesting as gender and all this other stuff, but it's actually coming from. Uh, <laughs> Freaking Marxism up in the academy, which takes over everything. Coming from shoddy scholarship that has been allowed to go on yeah. and on and on. It's yeah. just really, oh my God, the universities should hang their head in shame. The journalists have been bad enough. The universities, the the utter, utter rubbish that they're churning out. And you'd, and have, to, you'd have to defund them. And the only way to, and they are sitting on... <laughs> Huge no, endowments. No, 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 no. I'm in another revolution. No, no, no. no. The ordinary <laughs> people are just going to go. Yet, you have pushed us too far, and we now reject. I have great hopes for the ordinary people. Well, you, you guys are the Fighting Irish, so you get that that spirit. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you guys took care of Britain like that, so I, it's no reason why. <laughs> It only took us 800 years, and then we made a complete things here of it for the next 100 years. So you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got it. <laughs> so I was going to, there's a couple other questions, but um, I think we, we've kind of come full circle with this particular topic. But I do want to do more work with the boys, and I'm interested to see if, if there's more on that front to do yes. i think there, there's a lot of uh i'm hoping that just after alistair spoke so eloquently and and honestly and authentically i'm hoping and i think it will happen that the boys who have been subjected to this grooming that has gone on that i have spoken to those boys and um or i should call them men but they're they're young you know they are young I think his his leadership by speaking about it might bring more people out to talk and say, actually, that was me or I had my experience or I thought I was kind of the only one. Hmm. And the more they use their voice to speak out, the more we'll get an understanding of what's going on and we'll be able to help people better. I think mm -hmm. it's really important what he said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it took him a lot, a long time to get to that point, too. He had to go through <laughs> really intense Batman phase, which yeah. kind of shit was shocking to me. But Myself, Well, I, I was hassling to say it all along. <laughs> but, <laughs> he wasn't having a bar of it. <laughs> We're very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stella, you're doing great work. Genspect, Geta, Sagem. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, but Genspect gotta... is... Genspect is the kind of organization that yeah. I, I, I really put an awful lot of huge amount of effort into. And I, you know, I think it's doing very well. It's it's getting a lot of attacks from both sides, which is generally a good sign that you're, yeah, yeah if you're annoying both sides. What, what, what's the other side? What's the, I know the one side, but what's the, 
What's the I can't imagine which side you mean when you say that. I suppose the two sides, I think, that we, we, we get attacked from two sides would be um, extremists on either side, the extremists who would be so pro-trans that they have lost any kind of idea that there might be questions to be asked and, you know, that maybe least invasive first could be more appropriate than, you know, the full nuclear option. And then on the other side of the debate would be um, extremists who think that everything to do with trans and maybe men (laughs) um, is, is pretty awful and should be wiped out. And so, what are you laughing at? No, I was just saying we should do that too, but I'm going after the uh, managerial elite. They're going after men. <laughs> so we'll see who wins in that Maybe. arms race. Yeah, you know, and I just think it's very important that, you, you know, we, we remain very rational and just mm. try to kind of talk to the middle ground. I think they're the most important. I think 80% of people are in the middle ground. Um, and it's only a small number of people on either thing. It's only a small number. I, you know, it really is mm. only a small number. I think most people really, really appreciate the work that Genspec does because certainly we've had a huge amount of very, very, very friendly, warm emails and contacts mm. over the month. Mm-hmm. We're, what, we're, we're going about 15 months. And it's been incredibly heartening. And the beyond transition, um, low or no cost therapeutic yeah. counseling help for yeah. transitioners or people who are struggling with anybody that. who's been hurt by gender ideology mm-hmm. is we're very welcome to to uh, contact us you know it's very easy to find us just look up beyond genspec beyond and you'll find us and the idea anybody who's beyond transition and wants help and we we really are providing lovely help for these people and they are the minor- minority within the minority they have been very badly treated and I'm really, it's my real baby at the moment. I'm really glad that we're reaching those people. I'm really, really glad we are. Do you foresee like a 12-step manual for, for this? Like a, people people can, uh, yeah. little clubs and stuff like that. I do. Up, yeah. I do. I do. We have a therapeutic support group as part of that program. I do think the more people can meet each other, the better. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important that the meet and the, the meet in, in real life, not just online. I think that they're building a great community themselves and I think it's fabulous and really power, powerful that they're doing it. I do think, that, I don't know, the 12 steps I'm not a massive fan of, but group meetings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of, yeah. Big time. Yeah, yeah. Stella, it's always fun. I really enjoyed that. Great, great time. <laughs> um, do, you, do, you have a, do you have a favorite um, beer or wine or um, <laughs> drink? Are you, do you drink at all and I do, I do, I do. I think I'll go down and have a glass of wine now. (laughs) Um, um, Or any kind of culinary connoisseurship that you you really... Me? No, I I burn toast. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I am the worst cook. I I nearly cried. I kind of nearly cry most days when the kids come in from school because I burn the dinner four days out of five <laughs> and my daughter who's 14 said I'll cook it you can't do it and I was like you're right <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your that's your own uh, gender dysphoria I guess like in your own personal life <laughs> yeah 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 it's my many 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 uh, inabilities <laughs> cool well um, uh, thank, thank you for you. joining yeah man I really enjoyed it take care of yourself